Hi and welcome to episode three, season five of the Glenvor podcast with your host Jason or JJ and uh, thanks for pressing play and entering the wonderful world of uh, Lost Inverness Distillery uh, where we are brick by brick slowly rebuilding it virtually uh, with information. Uh, I'd love to rebuild it brick by brick physically but um, yeah we can talk about that another time. No, we are looking at, as always, um, two articles from the website that have been published. We are catching up as I think we're into November, December of last year. So I'm only just literally about a month behind, which will eat up in uh, the next couple of weeks as well. So we'll be bang on form, given the fact that we're just back. I'm just back from a, a winter break, um, although that was a winter break from publishing and not a winter break from research, because believe me, I've got some chunky... Uh, documentation articles to come and uh, I love reading about bricks and banks and um, all sorts of stuff Um, so yes it's a remarkable journey so thank you for joining me on it so today we have two things we have uh, a bill of sale from March 1956 and we will discuss that in a moment Uh, but first up we have new houses at Glenvore Distillery the 28th of October 1946 so this is the third of the plans submitted in the year 1946 this is the biggie this is the one that really shows this distillery is making plans um, with the return of production and uh, we talk a little bit about it now the plans themselves thanks to Highland Archive Centre are simply titled Telford Street, New Houses, Telford Street at Glenvore Distillery, again one word which is not correct, um, for McKinley and Burnley. Uh, Burnley, sorry. Um, so this, these arrive only a fortnight after the plans that we discussed on the other episode of the show, the previous one, uh, which were to an existing building. Uh, these plans, however, are for a totally new set of workers' accommodation. And rather than being, if we're looking at the distillery from the Telford Street side of things, I see these things in my dreams, so be uh, very easy to describe. On the left, beside the entranceway, we have the existing building I was mentioning that's been uh, upgraded and uh, remodeled several times. On the left, we have the, sorry, on the right, we have the distillery office, but then to the right of that we're now talking about a new building that's coming in the most amazing thing about these sets of plans and i had thought this when i've walked the site you know if if, if you go to glenvore generally you will park up in the uh car park funnily enough um uh but uh the carpet car park shall i say uh of the retail park and uh you are already on hallowed ground you're on glenvore um literally where the production buildings were if you're in that side of the car park and you can see the very dominant distillery wall uh yeah that forms the boundary between the car park and the uh canal that is believed to probably be the only sort of related structure to glenvore you could argue that you know that was put in before glenvore but you know it's nice to be romantic isn't it however now we can change things because now we can actually see we do have a Glenvore building still standing. And, you know, as I used to walk the site, so you would park up and you would walk around really busy road, Telford Street. It's so busy. And you've got that roundabout as well, probably slap bang opposite where the distillery offices were, the original entrance to the distillery was. And you walk down and you've got a lot of house, you've got some housing coming up. And it's 
different ages to the housing, but there was one house in particular. I always remember I walked past it and it's a more newer construction, but it's still old by today's standards. You know, it's still about, you know, 70 years old, give or take. But, you know, I did stand and look at it and I actually do have photographs of it when I, you know, I made the distillery walk because I haven't included them in this article, but I was like, hmm, you know, this intrigues me, this building, you know, unfortunately you can't go for a, a walk <laughs> in per people's property. But anyway, we'll come to that. Um, Plans that were approved by A.G. Stewart, again, not submitted by uh, Charles E. Doig, which I mentioned in the other show, um, were quite interesting. They went to another architect for these plans, um, one that was more perhaps used to doing non-distillery work in a way. They were entitled um, One Block of Two Four Apartment Houses. So potentially you now have two houses that can house two sets of families each in relative uh, comfort and then again this feeds into the the focus and investment that's happening at the distillery as they're looking ahead to the future so it's a totally new building which is standing on to the right of the um, existing distillery office which we mentioned uh, it comes from the 1920s so this would have been open ground for so long uh, and then on the other side of the distillery site is the private land where you originally had the, the post office uh, shop, which still stands. But I think today is a cafe. Certainly down the side of it is a cafe. And then you have the canal. Um, so these plans immediately, when I see these plans, I knew, yes, it's the house that you still see. Um slightly obscured as in the house uh, today is certainly been split in half but it's not been split in four if you if you can follow but it's been split in half and we have uh, the left side is still residential the right side is a Chinese takeaway which seems quite funny in a way you know because we have these still standing uh, I do wonder if uh, residents are aware of the, the historical nature of uh, where they live, you know, and uh, it's, I, I, I wouldn't say importance, but relevance to whiskey geeks such as myself, but, you know, we've got detailed plans internally of the building, you know, it looks like all the mod cons, everything was catered for, you know, the families that were going to be using these would be very well looked after, which sort of then took me on a little journey as to why they felt the need all of a sudden after 50 odd years of, um, uh, managing uh, distillery worker uh, accommodation. Why was there a sudden need to build an accommodation not for one or two or three, but four families on site? And there is a good answer to this, I think. You know, obviously we have the upgrades uh, that are coming uh, and very significant, and they will need more people. And we do know that they were kicking around the idea of um, employing a second shift a night shift in effect to do the malting at the warehouse uh, at Glenvor but this was um, overruled in favor of the salad in boxes it would have probably that decision probably wouldn't have been too far off this because we're almost into 1947 the salad in boxes came in in I think August September 1949 um, and obviously there would have been a lot of um, research and um, building prior to that so what do we have well 
there was an issue of accommodation in the area and what i'll do is i'll just read this paragraph to you um which we did find uh in uh the local courier at the time from 1946 um, and it says the occupation of unused military and air ministry huts in Inverness by EX servicemen and their families, which began on Monday, has proceeded without interruption. Now, if you know Inverness, there was a lot of um, military presence and buildings in the area of Muirtown and also just beyond. Uh, there are approximately 41 families squatting in government property in various parts of the town. The huts, all of a Nissan type, with an E. Uh, those of you who are abroad, you probably might not be aware of these huts, but it's, um, they're functional, corrugated iron, perhaps not ideal accommodation to live in, uh, certainly for families, are situated at the Longman Aerodrome, Ragmore Wood, Anfield Road, Porterfield Road and Muirtown. The squatters, all servicemen, have come from the Keswick District, the Haw District, Telford Gardens, Friars Lane, Kilbach, uh, Greg Street, Cameron Road and Inches uh, all are determined to stay in huts until the town provides them with permanent accommodation. Um, so this really gives us uh, an idea as to why accommodation was needed on the site, um, purely from a practical point of view of um, you know increased production but also the fact that they needed to uh, overcome the shortage of uh, available housing uh, after all you can't have uh, distillery workers if they have nowhere to live um, so it was a very important aspect to consider and one they put into effect pretty quickly i think you know two weeks after uh, the original um, planning applications for the extension so they're they're tackling this on two fronts on the, and several buildings across the site um and of course, around this time, John Burney passed away. But we do know from the research and his legacy that um, you know he was very focused on helping families who were less uh, well off um, than his own, but also people who were you know related to ex-servicemen and the hardships uh, and the lack of healthcare, um, not just in Inverness but certainly on a wider scale as well. So I round off the article by putting in a picture of the Panda Garden Chinese takeaway uh, in Inverness where uh, you know this is one of the buildings and clearly you can see that from the plans as well so uh, a little bit of history um, and no I haven't had a takeaway from it but it's definitely on my to-do list so I thought that was a great find that we've actually shown that there is one uh, building left that is related to the distillery and if you look um, on the picture on the website which I'll link below uh, you can see the carpet warehouse uh, retail unit in the background on the right hand side of the Chinese takeaway and that is pretty much where uh, a lot of the Glenvore um, production area would have been sort of in that sort of panoramic viewpoint so everything comes together in a way and um, yeah, we've lost so much, but in the same time, we still have one building left, um, which gives us an idea of perhaps of a little bit of Glenvore. And, um, you know, we can see uh, exactly where it was. And it's interesting from that photograph as well. You can tell that the land around um, the uh, extension uh, is quite sizable and, and that does fit in with the plans themselves. So moving on to the bill of sale, um, this one comes from the 12th of March 1956. Now this one is, uh, 
I'm sure this was what the only one I managed to purchase. Um, you may recall there was an eBay bidding war on a, a set of documents that came out um, related to Glenvor and other distilleries, uh, sort of a, from a, I guess a, a now no longer in existence Montrose firm who did um, bottlings and blendings, and those records came into the market. I, I, I presume somebody's inherited them or come across them and has made them available for auction. And certainly you can see that in some of the uh, whiskey auction websites. Now we are seeing some of the documents in general, not just Montrose coming in. And, you know, they are fetching some good prices. You know, I did see some recently at Just Whiskey, which were 50, 60, 70 pounds for one little document. Um, one was a very closed lost distillery but one was um for a distillery still in existence and uh i think that was dao yuan um, from memory so you know, it's great to see these things but obviously they're commanding a premium because they're very very well they are one-offs and they give us some detail uh and even purely from a visual standpoint they are very ornate some of them you know beautiful handwriting this particular one which i purchased um, on ebay i think was maybe for under 30 pounds which again puts good emphasis into the fact that uh, the document collection that we acquired um, for 600 pounds which we'll be going into in the coming months is good value and i, I am appreciative of the seller for that reason could have quite easily split that lot into 20 25 lots and um, made more money but he didn't um, appreciate the work and i appreciate you know obviously the generosity of the offer uh and the price and we can do that but this is a lovely document because i, I love the old typing but it, it essentially gives us 20 casks that montrose have purchased this firm uh, at jw christensen esquire and you can see paid with thanks the mckinley and burnley stamp on it and uh, a couple uh, queen stamps as well, who of amazingly has only just departed us in the last couple of years, hasn't she? So, um, you know, dating from the 50s, it gives us a sense of, you know, proof gallons uh, and uh, the cost of doing these things. And also it does tell us that these are to be stored at Glenalban uh, Warehouse. Uh, and gives us a little bit more detail on that. So it's great, you know, this does confirm that both warehouse facilities at the distilleries were being utilized for various purposes and also because we do have some of these montrose invoices this is the only original i own but we do have digital images of some of the earlier ones you can actually see a pattern forming the request casks are shipped to them 10 20 you know we have that sort of bill of sale that dispatch and then you see shortly afterwards the order another 20 to be filled and put aside again just continuing the cycle so great to see uh and on the back as well we have uh, the terms of sale for spirits at glenvore distillery which tend to be interesting um hyphenated as well but um you know we do have all of these things here um and al winchester commented on this as well um it shows quite a variety of sizes in the hogsheads genre warehouse staff would have had some packing to do with the rails to keep the rails level so he's already thinking from a practical sense of point you know we've got these different sizes different weights how do we keep these things level keep them organized in the warehouse they're going to perhaps that might have even reflected which warehouse they went into at Glenalban. we do not know but um you know a great document to have and certainly um i will look to acquire more and bring them to you as it also shows us in a way um, because we have the cask numbers 
where the production was at certain times of the year and we can use that um, retrospectively to build up a picture perhaps of production and answer any questions we have about you know were things ramping up or were they maybe finding filling orders a little more difficult but um, there we go thank you for listening uh that's the end of this episode uh i will endeavor to do another one next week for you and uh, by then i would think we're probably well into uh, the documents themselves and the logbook is finalized and finished but um wonderful work and uh yes I'll see you next week and we can talk about whatever uh, is coming up then, which, um, you know, for me is always a surprise, but I I think we're talking about a missing third image from a book. And also we we are talking a little bit about um, the future of Glenvor uh, research this year, which means we can probably spend a little bit extra time looking at the 1938 images that Mark Davidson found, which are just wonderful. Okay. Thanks for listening. See you soon.